Morning. Well, this is an exciting day as we have a baptism Sunday. We have enough to basically crowd out the service so that I can only preach a small 15-minute message, which I hope is sad for most of you. But one thing to note, uh, I think our oldest member, we had 10 members today, our oldest one is 21 years old. Our oldest baptism, I think, is Malachi, are you 20? Yeah, is 20. And so I think this confirms what I've sensed for a while, that the young generation, I guess Generation Z, is remarkably open to the gospel, and we're seeing a lot of fruit. And so I think that's an encouragement for all of us. But before we get into baptism, I want to pray, and then we're going to have a, um, a little sermonette entitled, Why You Should Get Baptized. Okay, so let me pray and we'll get started. Well, Father, we come before you just so grateful for these young souls who want to demonstrate their obedience and faith in Christ, uh, give testimony to the transformation given to them. I pray that as I talk about why you should be baptized, that this will have a contagious effect, that many others will think about the gospel, uh, their relationship to it, and should they be gospel-believing Christians, they might be persuaded uh, to partake in this rite as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, over the years, I have spoken often about communion, right? Every time we get up and we have a communion, uh, I guess we do it every Sunday, there's a communion meditation where we take about five to ten minutes to explain the significance of it. And it occurred to me that I, I haven't necessarily laid out a solid case for why you should be baptized. I've alluded to it, uh, talked about it and around it, but today I want to have it just a very direct conversation with you all about why you should be baptized. We have seven baptisms today. All of them had made the decision that I want to be baptized. It's kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch who says in Acts 8.36, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, to be baptized literally means to be immersed in water or immersed in fluid. Sometimes they would baptize fabric to be dyed. So it's a temporary immersion into water, and it is, uh, has long been associated with an initiation rite of the Christian faith. Now, when you ask the question, why should you be baptized, it implies that you have a, a say in the matter. Now, for most of Christendom, Baptism is performed on, on infants, right? They are baptized as an infant. It's an initiation rite into a covenant community, they would say. In the Old Testament, you had circumcision. The new initiation rite is baptism. And just like babies were put into old covenant communities, the same should be said for, um, for the new covenant community with baptism. Others might uh, say that it's not only an initiation rite, it's actually a sacrament where uh, original sin is, is washed away when the child is christened. Now, clearly, we don't practice that, right? That's why we have this very big tank. I remember walking into my friend's church, and he was an infant Baptist, and I noticed that it had a little tiny baptismal, you know, kind of, you know, just raised up here. They could just dip your fingers into it, and I decided to troll him because that's the kind of friend I am, and I I said, Doug, what is this over here? And he says, oh, it's the baptismal. A little small, isn't it? Right? But, you know, you kind of get the point. <laughs> Hard to dip somebody in that. 
So why is it that we, or these seven candidates, decided that they wanted to be baptized at this point in time, especially when a couple of them had been baptized previously? Uh, one as an infant, for instance. Well, there's a couple of reasons why we don't practice that here, with all due respect to my believing infant baptism brothers and sisters. Uh, number one, there's no clear incident in the New Testament of infant baptism. Uh, babies are blessed but not baptized. You have households being baptized, but when you look at how it's laid out, they believe and then they're baptized, and there's no clear indication that there were actually children among them. Uh, when Peter preaches to uh, the masses after Pentecost, he says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for, in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So notice, before they were baptized, they received the word. They had faith, and then they were baptized. Secondly, the reason why we don't baptize infants, it's because the sign of the new covenant is new. Now, when you talk about the old covenant, the old covenant was made with the people of Israel. Uh, they were all to be circumcised to show their identity with this old covenant community, that they were sons and, well, I guess sons of Abraham, obviously, because of the circumcision. But that circumcision pointed to a greater reality. You see, they were part of this old covenant community, and if they obeyed, they would get blessed. If they disobeyed, they would be cursed, and that was to go back and forth. And all of it was to show that on their own, they could not fulfill the terms of faithfulness in the old covenant. Moses warns them in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Right? They are unable, incapable of loving the Lord with all their heart until their heart is circumcised. That something had to happen in their heart. And when Jeremiah prophesies about this new covenant, he prophesies to a people that continually broke the old covenant. And he says that in the future, this is Deuter Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's going to be a, a heart transformation. We might call this regeneration, being born again, becoming a new creation. Your heart is transformed by the Holy Spirit, renewed by the Holy Spirit, so that you have this inclination to want to know God and obey God. And so when you look at, let's say, the new covenant, the sign of the new covenant, the, the great reality of the new covenant is all the members of the new covenant community are regenerated. And I would contend that you can't be regenerated without faith. So if you're going to be part of the new covenant, you have to have regeneration. And to have the new covenant sign of baptism, you have to have faith. Paul brings both of these together in Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who, was, who raised him from the dead. We no longer circumcise people because they have a circumcision of the heart. 
Right? The Holy Spirit, through the new covenant ministry, changed and transformed their heart. In the old covenant, it's possible to be born into a covenant community and not have faith. They would actually look forward to the realization of these new covenant promises to fully rightly relate to God with a new heart and a new transformation. But now that that has happened in the eyes of those who have faith, we can look back and we remember that through baptism. Circumcision points forward, baptism points backwards. To be a part of the new covenant community, you have to be regenerated. And to be regenerated, you have to have faith. Therefore, baptism is the sign of the new covenant, which proceeds, not precedes, faith and regeneration. So that is why we believe what we do. So why should you get baptized? Well, before I answer that question, I want to answer the question, why shouldn't you be baptized? Don't get baptized if you believe it will save your soul. Okay, don't get baptized if you believe that there's magic in this water and that by being plunged in the water, your sins will literally be washed away. That is not the biblical teaching. Now, some who advocate for this will point to Acts 2.38, where Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As if he's suggesting that you have to be baptized for forgiveness. But Peter clarifies his own thinking in the letter of his own name in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 21, where he talks about corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's that act of faith that cleanses you, not being plunged in the water. Yes, you should be baptized. Yes, you should be plunged in the waters, but it is to commemorate or symbolize the internal transformation that has taken place. Later on in Acts, you see people who are baptized by the Holy Spirit clearly declared to be believers in front of the apostles and all the witnesses, and then they are baptized after the fact. Right? Baptism is associated with salvation, but not the means of salvation. So don't get baptized to save your soul. Secondly, don't get baptized to get a fresh start. A lot of times people think, well, if I get baptized, things are going to be different. I can turn a, a new page. I remember reading about an NFL star who got baptized in the Jordan River, and then a few months later, all of these salacious details of bad behavior came out. It was almost like he was trying to run from something, and like baptism was a way of like changing the narrative, uh, religious rehab, so to speak. Thirdly, don't get baptized to please others. Your baptism has to be an expression of your faith. It's not something that your parents or other people should pressure you into. It's something that you willingly embark in, that you want to do. So with that said, why should you be baptized? Number one, you want to obey Jesus. You want to get baptized because you want to obey Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus said to them all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples are to go out and baptize. As they're making disciples, they are baptizing people. If you want to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, it means that you get baptized. 
Second reason why you should want to be baptized is that you want to follow Christ, and you want to be like Christ. And Jesus Christ was baptized. If Jesus was baptized, if he decided to get baptized, and you want to be like Jesus, be baptized. Thirdly, you want to tell the world. When you get baptized, you're really making a, a, a statement, right? If we are in a, a Muslim co- country with a Muslim culture and, and someone gets baptized, they're making a statement, aren't they? They're saying, I'm now with Christ. They are, are publicly telling the world that I am with Jesus. You look at the, the Jews. Seven weeks after Jesus was crucified by the mob, the religious authorities, And Rome, seven weeks later, Peter preaches a sermon in a city that was hostile to Christianity. And yet they believed, and 3,000 of them were baptized. See, when you're baptized, you you make a statement, I stand with Jesus, and in the words of Matthew 10, 22-33, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, But whoever denies me before men, I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is one of the reasons why all of these candidates will give public testimony to their transformation. They'll tell the world, before they're baptized, how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. The fourth reason why you should be baptized is you want to be part of the church. In Acts 2.41, so those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. So notice they received the word, they were baptized, and then they were added to the church. As a new covenant community, we want all of our members to be baptized, to have the sign of the new covenant. You not only tell the world that I am with Jesus when you're baptized, you also say that I am with the church. I stand with Jesus and his people. So do you want to be accountable to the church? Do you want this family to be your family? Now, a lot of times there's some anxiety about baptism. Some of you might think to, them, to yourself, well, if I get baptized, what if my profession of faith is not real? What if I blow it in the future? What if I'm like that guy who got baptized five times? So to you, I want to say this. Number one, you don't need to clean yourself up before you get baptized. It's like the the person who has to hose themselves off before they take a shower. The shower is going to do. You don't need to clean yourself up before you get baptized because the blood of Christ will do. Secondly, you will sin after you get baptized. How many people still sin? Okay. How many have been baptized? Okay. Yeah. See? High correlation there. (laughs) You will sin after you get baptized. See, Christians aren't characterized by the absence of sin so much as how they deal with their sin, that they turn away from their sin. Thirdly, do you want to fight your sin as part of the church or apart from the church? Do you want to fight your sin as part of the church or part of the church? If you're concerned about sinning, and that's what's keeping you from being baptized, then be baptized, become part of the church. 
And then let us fight your sin with you. As a church, we will take a stand with you against your sin. Encourage you when you need encouragement. Call you out when you need to be called out. Treat you like a Christian. Expect you to act like a Christian so that all of us can finish that race together. So all that to say, we're going to see seven baptisms. And my hope is that some of you who are on the fence will think, you know what? It's time. It's time. It's time for me to be baptized. It's time for me to obey Jesus, follow him, and become part of the church. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will bring up our first baptismal candidate. Well, Father, we come before you just grateful for the clear teaching of your word regarding baptism. And I thank you that uh, these seven brothers and sisters um, have decided that they want to partake in this rite. I pray that um, the testimonies will be clear. I pray that you'll give them courage to speak to the friendliest audience they'll ever uh, have in front of them, that we'll all be encouraged by the work that you've done in their lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, our first baptismal candidate is Malachi Smith. future in NASCAR, so. <laughs> All right, well, when I was informed... Why don't you stand down here, and we'll adjust the microphone. Thank you, I'm short. When I was informed that I should bring my testimony today... Um, I forgot that baptism involves water. So I have my phone with me. Okay. It's been a weird night. I'm just going to, and day, I'm going to say that. So, thank you all for being here. Uh, much like a very select few of you, I too was born at a very young age. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a household with firmly Christian parents a loving family, and food that was perennially on the table, you know, in the pantry, if we're being literal. Uh, I even got to move between countries since my parents were missionaries. Uh, I got baptized when I was five years old because I was able to clearly articulate the gospel, and I pursued my parents about it. Uh, they, in fact, told me to wait until I could pursue them about it, and I did so and so my parents, not wanting to withhold this gift from me and listening to my breakdown of the gospel, had agreed to allow me to be baptized. But my life after that point was not one of someone who was living according to God, and that's why I'm here today. Throughout my younger years, I was often told by the world around me that I was worthless. On multiple occasions, I had teachers and fellow students tell me that both the world and I would be better off if I was dead. I was bullied for my, my skin color, my hair color, everything. I was harassed and sometimes struck by fellow students. Um, I would choose to not sleep because tomorrow could only come if I went to sleep. Towards the end of the year, after our school got into a conflict with a different one, there were even uh, death threats flying around. My parents didn't even know most of this at the time, and they still saw enough to decide to pull me out. I began to regularly lie to them, and I began to struggle heavily with suicidal thoughts. Now, lying had already been a problem in my life 
uh, but it took on heavily new proportions. My ninth grade year, my family left for the States. Uh, I was a tiny white boy who still hadn't hit puberty, talked too much, I know, I know none of you are surprised, <laughs> and had no idea where his place in the world was. I was lost and I started to seriously doubt God. Uh, those around me, most of them atheists, seemed to be really wise in their ways, really comfortable with their lives. I lied to my parents about my grades, I started cursing and blaspheming, and I tried to make everyone my friend because I was so scared of being alone again, which led me to ending up alone again. I made a couple of friends towards the end of the year, but again, I ended up leaving. I began to constantly think of ending my life because I couldn't see any purpose in it. I got involved with friends who were active gang members, and I continued to run from God. I took every chance I had to run from the only one who could save me, and lost myself in my own misery. I wallowed like a pig in the mud. I was prideful, egocentric, and self-centered. The Lord, in his infinite patience and kindness, began to slowly pry my sins from me. Today I am free, not because of my own power or goodness, but because I was chosen according to his will. I was saved by grace through faith alone. One fateful night, when I had just turned 18, God tore me from my sin, showed me my brokenness and shame, and gently welcomed me back into his arms. Jesus did not die on the cross because I'm perfect. He did not die on the cross because I am healthy. He died for me, God taking on the sins of man because I am so sick that nothing but the mercy and sacrifice of God would suffice. For most of my life, I have always felt that I am alone that death would be better than life, that there was no reason to push forward. But I'm not alone, because God is there, and he makes life worth living. He is the reason I run this race. Jesus is my great high priest, and because of his sacrifice, I cannot be alone. I need to stop trying to fill that emptiness and hunger inside of me with the shadow of food and realize that the Lord has given me a banquet. Maybe my loneliness is a thorn in my side, a reminder of how desperately I need him, a smack in the face when I think I can do it alone. Maybe my loneliness has been used to guide my every small step towards God. My feeling of worthlessness has guided me towards him. God who has torn me from my sin and my contempt and has slowly and kindly pulled me to himself through every moment of pain. Maybe there will be a day when I hear the trumpet sound and the pearly gates open and the Most High will embrace me and tell me, I know, and I am here. For even as I struggle to breathe, and even as I thrash wildly for meaning and understanding and belonging, the Lord tells me, be still and know that I am God. Because I'm not alone. I know where I belong. I know that I am worth loving and that I am precious in his eyes. That this sin in my life does not define me, but his plans for my life do. I'm not David. Uh, sometimes I like to write out little poems, psalms, um, to remind myself of God's greatness. Uh, I'm going to read a piece of one of these to finish out my testimony. All else is in vain but this. All that is good and holy. All that presents honor to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All that which humbles me and silences my pride. All that which I am commanded, and I am commanded to find joy, so joy I shall find. I shall silence my weary bones. I shall silence my corrupt flesh. I shall show how my sins have been drowned by the blood of Christ in this baptism. 
The old self shall be put to death. He shall be executed to great celebration. And out of the death of the old comes the new. The Lord's word has spoken. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. I don't know the mind of five-year-old Malachi. Maybe he meant it when he said he believed, and maybe he didn't. But the life I lived was not one that honored God, and I am here today as an adult who has been saved to state for certain that I recognize the mercy I have been given. I recognize Jesus as my Savior. I will honor God in each of his three persons, and I will live a life that worships the one who created me, not a life that worships myself. Thank you all. All right. Now, you've done this before, Malachi, but we're going to do a little review. So go ahead and plug your nose. You'll thank me for this. Well, Malachi, because of your profession and faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have Piper Tulip. My name is Piper Tillip and I'm 11 years old. I grew up in a Christian home with a Christian family. My parents taught me how God loved everybody and how God, through Jesus Christ, made a way for me to be saved to go to heaven. I thought it was right. If someone was mean to me, I could do something mean back to them. But Jesus says in Matthew 5:39, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And Matthew 5:44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I needed Christ because I knew I could not get to heaven on my own because of my sin. I had a stubborn and hardened heart, but God replaced it with a tender heart. It was helpful to know He was loving and forgiving. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, where grace you have been saved. Now that I am a Christian, I have more loving. And when I say I forgive you, I don't only say it, but I mean it. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I also do what my parents want me to do when they ask me the first time. Because Ephesians 6.1-2 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. God has helped me care about honoring him by obeying my parents. And I praise God that he has saved me. Well, thank you, Piper. So go ahead and plug your nose and sit down. Yep. Okay, Piper, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Next, we have Mallory Heim. Hi, I'm Mallory, and this is how the Lord has been working in my life. Let me start from the beginning. I grew up Catholic, I went to church almost every single Sunday, and prayed every single night. I had a strong faith and a love for God until it ultimately became something like an on and off switch. Something I would turn on whenever I needed something and something I would turn off whenever I was at school or hanging out with friends. For a few years, my life would continue this way until my faith altogether stopped. I remember one day sitting at my lunch table wondering why I didn't feel happy. 
I had amazing friends and school was going great, but deep down I was empty. I shrugged it off as nothing until a few months later. At this point, COVID had started and when I was around my family, I smiled like I was fine, but I wasn't. I, when I was alone, I was in tears. I remember sitting on my bed saying, if God really loved me, why would he make me suffer? I had never felt so much pain yet so empty. I had stopped praying altogether. I started to doubt if God really cared. I had so much hatred for him that I rarely went to church when COVID faded, and it wouldn't be until this year that I made amends. Over the last semester, God brought me to Zenos, where I made some friends, and I felt so welcomed. They invited me to church, and later that day, I bought my very own ESV Bible, and I learned my first verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved by faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. A couple of weeks later, I rearranged my conflicts to go on the fall retreat because I felt pushed by God to go. This was truly a blessing from him, as it was the lifeline I had started to pray for. I met some amazing people, I sang some amazing worship songs, and I heard some amazing messages where I learned the foundational truths of the Bible. After that, I decided I wanted to be a part of Zenos, so I threw myself full force into any and everything I could. I joined a couple more Bible studies and I started hanging out at the inner being regularly. From there, I fully learned the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and that he is the only way to get to heaven, a person holy man and holy God who could resist all the temptations of earth. A person who did not deserve to die, but did so anyways so that my soul would be saved and I could go to heaven. I am a sinner, and because of him, when I die, God won't see my sins. He sees the glory of Jesus that came from the ultimate sacrifice he made. Since I have been saved, my life has become so much better. God has given me the opportunity to share the gospel. He has surrounded me by people that share my values and beliefs. I have found a community I want to be a part of, and I have found the closest thing to happiness I have had in years. All right, Mallory, go ahead and sit down. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And next we have Eli Hoff. morning. My name is Eli Hauf, and this is my testimony. Growing up, I can't remember a time when I wasn't regularly in church as a child. Um, my family has been at Flint Hills as long as I can remember, and I remember consistently being here for Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings for Awanas. Uh, my parents faithfully attempted to raise me in a gospel-centered home and surrounded me with other faithful Christians to share the gospel with me. I was surrounded by the gospel and strong Christian adults who constantly displayed their faith towards me, but despite their efforts, uh, I acted strongly on my sinful human nature as a child. I always saw churches and Awanas as an inconvenience towards me, and uh, I disliked going. I never listened to the messages or tried to understand what they were for. I was always more focused on what I would do when I get, got home and got away from church. I believed in God and believed in Jesus and that he died on the cross or whatever, but that was, that was more just for Easter, right? Uh, I, always, I never cared to know more than it would take to look like a good Christian kid. Uh, at school and in public, I behaved well, and only to make others think that I was good. 
I acted nice and listened in school, but in my heart, I had a self-righteous attitude, believing that I was better than others because I didn't get in trouble like they did. My desire was to please myself, not please God. I continued to have selfish and unrighteous attitude as I got older. At home, I was lazy and selfish and often angry. Despite being at church, I still disliked it, and I never paid attention or learned from the sermons. I became focused on getting away with sin. If my parents or the people around me and my friends didn't realize it, I could get away with it and be fine. I was in darkness and I was loving my sin. It says in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I had a wicked heart which harbored my sinful lusts and passions. In seventh grade, it all changed when I started going to the youth group. At the start, I still saw it as another place like Awanas where I'd just go and hang out with my friends and not ignore the listens. For some reason, they started to make an impact on me. Each week, I started paying better attention and it felt like all the sermons and lessons were directly uh, preached for me. Each one felt more convicting every week, and I began to understand my need for a Savior. It all came to a point when Pastor Alvin started ending each sermon every week with a, a prayer that anyone who hadn't given their life to Christ, that they would do so. Um, and it finally hit me one night. I was laying there in bed, and it all came over with me. All the sermons, it all just came to, together, and I realized I needed to give my life to Christ. The, more specifically, I realized that if I didn't do something and if I didn't wake up in the morning, I was going to go to hell. That was a terrifying reality for me because I didn't want to spend eternity in eternal torment. It kind of just hit me all at once, and I realized I needed a Savior to deliver me from my sins, and I realized Christ was that Savior. I knew I wanted to give my life that, to Christ, and I wanted to spend eternity with him one day. So I prayed, and I gave my life to Christ that night. After that, I saw changes in my life immediately because of my newfound faith, and church and youth group became things I wanted to go to. I had a desire to listen, and I wanted to learn from the sermons so I could grow and be more like Christ. I saw my heart change, and I hated my sin, and I felt guilt when I sinned compared to my ignorance before. My faith was something I loved, and I desired to please God. I wanted to grow in my faith and had a hope to live in heaven with him one day. Despite being saved, I still struggled sometimes and often stumbled at times. But in 1 John 1, 1.9 it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful, to faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Christ has paid the price for my sins, I've been washed clean. God has given me the righteousness and freedom from sin, and I have learned repentance. I can now rest in the knowledge that God will never forsake me and will forgive me when I stumble if I bring my sins to him. Now every day I can wake up looking forward to the glory of Christ that awaits me in heaven one day. Thank you. All right, Eli, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, next up we have Brayden Ortega. So my name is Brayden, and this is my testimony. I was born and raised in a Christian household, constantly being taught about the Lord and my need for him because I'm a sinner. When I was around six years old, I had several conversations with my mother about Jesus. She said maybe Jesus was knocking on my heart and that all I needed to do was to let him in. So I said a prayer and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. However, I didn't really take this seriously and I just continued life as usual, never really thinking about God or obeying him. Several years later, my sister Addie was in the hospital. She'd been fighting cancer for several years and the doctors told us that she'd likely not make it. 
So I began praying and asking God to heal her, but he didn't. After Addie passed away, I became angry at God because he didn't answer my prayer. I wanted nothing to do with him. I had no desire to read the Bible or pray. I continued to go to church, but not to worship God or to learn more about him. I became self-centered and angry. I was joyless and continued to fall into sin. All the while, my heart was being hardened towards the things of God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, And by this we may know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I realized I was claiming to be saved because I had prayed a prayer when I was six, but I wasn't truly trusting in the Lord. I wasn't obedient to him and living as Christ would live. Instead, I was living for myself. I knew I needed to be forgiven of my sins and to repent. <clears throat> and although I continued to struggle with understanding why God would take my sister so soon, I knew that I needed to surrender my life and trust him and take him at his word. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I now realize that God did answer my prayer, just not the way I wanted. Addie's completely healed now in heaven and no longer in pain. I'm amazed that despite my self-righteousness and anger towards God, that he continued to pursue me, offering forgiveness, unconditional love, and the free gift of salvation that I did not deserve. My desires have now changed. I enjoy reading the Bible and praying, and I actually want to go to church. I want to please and glorify God in all I do, which is why I'm getting baptized today out of obedience to him. Braden, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we have David Hart. <clears throat> my name is David Hart, and this is my testimony. I grew up in a Christian household all my life and never really denied the existence of God, but I didn't really care, and someone tried to share the gospel with me and asked me, when, uh, asked me where I'd think I'd go when I die. I'd just shrug them off and say, I don't know. I ain't care. I ain't care about my sin. I'd yell at my siblings, threaten violence on a regular basis, and anger was controlling my life. I was only concerned with doing what I was supposed to because I didn't want to get in trouble. I was, try I was trying to please myself and not God. But as I was getting into bed one night, one night I suddenly realized that I was in sin and living for myself, but I still didn't pray or read the Bible. I thought I could do it on my own, and obviously nothing really changed. Soon after this, I went, went to ascend, and I wanted to obey God, but I still wasn't sure of my salvation. Later, I talked with a leader, and he asked me where I was spiritually, and I told him that I wanted to follow Christ, but I didn't, I didn't want to say I was saved because I was afraid that I'd walk away. <clears throat> but, then he, but then he said to me, if you're not sure that you're saved, how, you can, how can you fully trust and serve God? Suddenly it hit me. It's not anything that I do. God sent his son to die for my sins, and he rose again, defeating death. As Paul states in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, And you were dead in, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work with the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. 
wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I can trust that he paid for my sins in dying and rising again, defeating death, as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. For I deliver to you as, as of the first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now since Christ has died for me, I don't need to feel guilty for my sin anymore. Now I've been made alive with Christ, and I should, but I shouldn't continue in sin, as said in Romans 5.20, 6, 6 um, through 2. Now the law came to increase in the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, that grace might abound? By no means, how can we, who died, to sin still live in it? I now live my life for Christ. I'm not perfect, but when I sin, I don't shrug it off, but desire to repent and ask for forgiveness. I now read my Bible and pray because I desire to have a deeper relationship with God. I'm no longer just doing what I'm supposed to because I'm trying to avoid consequences, but because I'm trying to imitate Christ as I walk with him. David, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And last, we have Landon Morlock. My name is Landon Morlock, and this is my testimony. I've grown up in a Christian home my entire life. I have a loving, godly family that serves the Lord faithfully. I considered myself a Christian by association and had never really thought about what it actually meant to be a Christian. In 2014, my family's life changed when we left Emporia to live in Oklahoma for my dad's job. Then in 2015, we began to travel back east again for my dad's job. During this time, my family struggled to find a good church, and in 2017 decided it was time to think about selling back down in Emporia, since I would be starting middle school soon. I was looking forward to being back home. During our travels, I was able to experience many great things, seeing the ocean for the first time in Massachusetts, snorkeling in Key Largo, Florida, and understanding where the Smoky Mountains got their name, along with many other adventures. As much fun as I, as we were having, I had a secret. During one of our stays, another boy my age exposed me to pornography. At the time, I was disgusted by it, but not long after, I was exposed to it again and quickly found myself enslaved by it. Soon after, my parents found out and I got the talk. They began to help me with my struggles. However, I didn't truly deal with my sin and I would find myself looking for ways around my parents' protection. This happened repeatedly over the next couple of years. Sin wants, to live, wants you to live in secret. It wants you to feel pain, feel pain and too ashamed about it to ask for help. I was a slave to my sin, and I had no chance of fixing it by myself. I would often hear many good testimonies from men in the church who had some of the same struggles I had. Their testimonies encouraged me, but it wasn't enough to have someone else's faith. 
I needed to have my own faith and love for Christ. In 2021, I lost my grandpa suddenly. God often uses these hard times in our lives to remind us of our need for a savior. When my grandpa passed away, I realized how passive I was being and that I never actually committed to being a Christian. I wanted to hold on to my sin as long as I could. My eyes and heart were finally opened to what the Lord was trying to show me, that my sin not only hurts myself and my family, but my relationship with him. This changed my attitude drastically. Over the past couple of years, God has worked on my heart to see my sins for what they truly are. Being a part of the youth group has given me the chance to make good friends and be taught by godly leaders. My parents have also been able to help me get to the root of my sin by setting healthy boundaries with technology and meeting regularly to discuss my struggles and pray together. I no longer want to be separated from Christ. Even in the short amount of time, I can look back and see how God is working in my life and changing my heart. I have a desire to learn, read my Bible with purpose, and serve Him. A verse that encourages me is 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with, at a price. So glorify God in your body. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. So I think we all are uh, kind of marveling at the work of God and our young people. And uh, all right, we'll pray before we all lose it, right? (laughs) Well, Father, we come before you just grateful um, just for the testimony of these uh, earnest young believers who have not only committed their lives to you, but have the courage to tell all of us about the work that you've done. I thank you for each of their stories, how you brought them from darkness to light. And Lord, as they publicly profess their faith in Christ, I know that as they walk the pilgrim path, there will be trials and temptations. There'll be hard times where it's very difficult to maintain faith. There'll be Uh, There'll be active opposition from the forces of darkness, from Satan and his minions. There'll be the disappointment they feel in themselves when they do sin. But Lord, I pray that they'll remember the realities that we celebrate today, that Christ died for sinners, that his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient to purge us from our sin, to give us the righteousness that we need to stand before you and that all of the promises associated with this glorious gospel will propel them to cross the finish line so that one day when they breathe their last or when you come and they see you face to face, uh, it'll be a time of great joy and rejoicing that their faith displayed today was vindicated. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.